Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active. We just confess John chapter 8, 31 and 32. We know the truth and it makes us free. Father, we rest in you. We sent your Holy Spirit here this morning. We sent your hope. And we just thank you for it. Your word, Hebrews 4, is living and active. Let it go into every heart, mind, and spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, if you agree, would you just say amen? We began last week a message called Hope really the hope of Christmas. Let me just encourage you, if you are not here, to get on our podcast and check that out because it will really be a blessing to you, and especially especially if you know someone who needs hope, if you know someone who is struggling. How many of you know Christmas can be a great time of joy and and enthusiasm and all the festivities, but it can also be a very hard time. It can also be a very sad time, especially if you're alone or by yourself or in a situation that maybe you didn't choose or maybe things are uncertain in your future. Christmas time holidays can kind of can kind of remind you if things are bad, they can put a little pressure on and they can make the bad seem even worse. And so we brought you a message of hope, and I believe the Lord spoke to many of you. How many of you were here last week and say that the message really touched you, the message really blessed you? Heard many of you comment on that, and I, I give the Lord praise, and we thank the Holy Spirit for speaking to us. Real quick, let's just look at our text scripture, John 10. Then we'll give you just enough of a review to track with us, and then, again, get on the podcast. John 10, verse 9. I love these scriptures. Jesus said, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved, and he will live forever. He will go in and out freely. He will find spiritual security. Because the thief, verse 10, comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might enjoy life, that you might have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. Jesus said in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He said, I am come that you might have life. We celebrate Jesus, and we think about the birth of Christ, and we see the nativity scenes, and we think about the baby in the manger, and we think of all the great things that come along with Christmas and celebrating. I saw something the other day. One of my friends on Facebook said their son was determined to get a birthday cake for Jesus and then was determined to eat the cake after they sang happy birthday to Jesus. And they, they weren't sure if the son really wanted to honor Jesus or just wanted cake. I'm guessing probably just wanted cake. He found an avenue to get cake. But we celebrate Christmas, celebrate the birth of Christ. And in and, and this scripture here in verse 10, if we can go back to John 10, 10, Jesus said, I am come. The whole purpose of God sending a piece of himself wrapped in flesh, the babe in a manger. He said, I am come that they might have and enjoy life. God's plan for you is not a plan of depression. God's plan for you is not a plan of guilt. God's plan is not a plan where you just trudge through life and barely survive. I remember I, I, I love my grandfather. He's went on to be with the Lord now, but but he was always a little bit pessimistic. And I guess that's why I'm a little bit more optimistic because my grandfather was just, a, he was a good man, godly, godly man in his older age. Loved my grandfather, meant a lot to me. Just a little pessimistic. He, he was an amputee, and I don't say that to, to make fun. I, it, it helps the illustration. He was an amputee. He had had bad circulation. And I would come in and say, Papa, how are you doing today? He said, well, I'm partly cloudy. 
Wasn't ever sunny. He said, well, I'm partly cloudy. And, and then he said, I'd say, well, how are you doing? He said, well, I'm still kicking, but not too high. <laughs> and uh, it's so funny. I have to tell a story, probably borderline inappropriate, but it's so funny, I have to tell you. He would be sitting in his little recliner, and he, would, he didn't wear his leg. He had a, a prosthetic leg, but he couldn't really wear it. And he'd be taking his little nub. Now, I'm not making fun. I'm just showing you. And he'd be going up and down like that. And I walked in, and it was just a little nub going up and down on the chair. And I said, Papa, what are you doing? He said, I'm exercising. And that, was, that was how he exercised. But, but his answer was, you know, partly cloudy, or, or you know, I'm still kicking, but not too high. And, and, and <laughs> I got to tell you one more story. This is all true. You can't make this stuff up. So he's in a wheelchair. And I, I pushed him around everywhere. I was his little motor. And so we'd go up and down. And he just, he wanted me to push him around everywhere. I was about 13, 14 years old. We, we were going down a hill one time at his home. And I dumped him out. I mean, we hit a, a ditch or something. We're in the grass. And we didn't have a, an off-road wheelchair. It's just a normal wheelchair with the little wheels. And, and I flipped him out. And he went rolling. I said, Papa, are you okay? And he looked up at me. He said, I will be if you don't kill me. <laughs> That was the last time we took him out of that, up that hill. But Jesus didn't come so we could be, with all due respect to my grandfather, he, Jesus didn't come so we could be partly cloudy. Jesus didn't come so we could still be kicking but not too high. Jesus came so we could live an abundant life to the full until it overflows. And so many folks have such a hard time getting a hold of this in Christmas. And so we began to talk to you about four foundations to have and give hope. Two people in the room. Two people watching on video. Two people listening to the podcast. There are those of you who are, are in a place of health right now. There are those of you who are in a place of hope. You are in a place of, of abundant life. But then there are those of you who need hope. You are in a place of despair. You are in a hard place. So we, we want to learn how to have and give. We, we don't want to learn to just have. I hear a lot of sermons on have hope and have peace and have joy. But what about learning to give hope? What about learning to share the hope that we have in Christ? Number one, have purpose in your life. Number two, open up to others. This is a little acrostic. This is how we can have hope and give hope this Christmas season. Number three, we're going to place Christ first. That's what we're going to talk about today. And number four, we're going to remember that everyone else has troubles just like we have. And we're going to talk about that. So number one, have purpose. Just a couple of things that I want you to see. Go to the next screen concerning have purpose in your life. I, I gave you just a few principles here that will help you. And it's this. Uh, listen to your passions. I think you'll see that on the screen if you can go to the next screen. Listen to your passions. Put yourself in a position to serve. Because the major difference in Christianity and all other religions is purpose. We've got to learn to have purpose in our life. Jesus infuses divine purpose. And we give you lots of principles along this. That one way that we can have hope is to have a purpose in life. Have a reason to get out of bed. Know that you matter. Know that you have a calling on your life. You're not just a blob of existence. You have a purpose. Would you tell your neighbor you have a purpose? Our PowerPoint is this. Learn to live for the sake of others and your troubles begin to be smaller and smaller. Learn to live for the sake of others and your troubles become smaller and smaller. Learn to flow in your God gifts. Let your passions direct your purpose. Serve others. Use your gifts. Number two, we talked about opening up to others about your trials. Learning to share. 
We talked about Moses and Jethro, how they had a great heart-to-heart conversation and how Moses opened up to his father-in-law and he gave him advice. And then we gave you a couple of ways to move into that. Notice the screen here. It says, how? How do I help? How do I help others? And we talked about opening up about your trials. The way that we help others is to be alert to those around us. We must take their comments seriously. We must listen without judgment or criticism. And then we must move from a place of sympathy to compassion. It's not enough just to be sympathetic. It's not enough just to be uh, pity, to show pity. We must move to a place of action. It is not compassion unless it's action. It is not compassion unless there's action with it. So this is an awesome way that we can help others. When they open up about their trials, when they open up about the things that they're struggling with, be alert, take them seriously, listen without judgment. Don't criticize. And then move from just empathy and sympathy to a place of compassion. And all that is on the podcast. So let's get into new material today. Number three, we're going to place Christ first. I just want to share with you some reasons why we place Christ first. And there's a, there's a, there's a PowerPoint for life that I want to start out with right from the gate, and it's this. The PowerPoint for life is simply this. In order to have the peace of God, you must have the God of the peace. In order to have the peace of God, you must have the God of peace. So many people want what God offers us, and want His joy, and want His blessings. But the way that we have peace is by being with the God of peace. Look at Isaiah 9.6. I just want to walk through a few scriptures with you this morning. It says, For a child is born to us. How many of you have heard this scripture at Christmas time? We're talking about placing Christ first. A child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. That means there's strength and security in Jesus. It says he will be called Wonderful Counselor. How many know God never gives you bad advice? How many know sometimes people give you bad advice? How many of you have ever received bad advice from people? If it's bad advice, it's not from God. God is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. Ready? Let's say this last one. Ready? He is the prince of peace. When I think about Christmas time, amongst the hustle and bustle and everything that goes into the season, if we really settle our heart, it's, it's really about the peace of God. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. God letting his son die on a cross so we can have peace with God, so we can have peace within ourselves. And so when you give your life to Christ, check this out, ready, listen to this. When you give your life to Christ, He gives His life to you. I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me that in a powerful way. We're talking about hope, placing Christ first. When you give your life to Christ, He gives you the life that He has. He gives you His life. And what a great exchange. Look at John 14, 27. This is the exchange. When you give your life to Christ, He gives His life to you. Notice here, I'm leaving you with a gift. I'm leaving you with my peace, peace of mind, peace of heart. The peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Leave that up for just a second. Let's read this together. We're talking about hope this Christmas. Ready? I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. I think there's an old country song. Maybe it's a new country song. I'm not into country music very much. No offense if you are. It's just not quite my thing. It's too depressing for me. I like stuff that's a little, you know, a little more encouraging, but if it's your deal, whatever. But in their old song, it says, Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for, some of you are singing that song. 
So many times we look for love in all the wrong places. We look for acceptance in all the wrong places. You know why I love Philippians 4.4? 4, it says rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Do you know why we put our joy in the Lord? Because He never changes. If I put my joy in my wife, whom 15 years ago today said I do, that she would marry me. Come on, can you encourage the lovely Miss Tara? 15 years ago today, I proposed. Got her before she knew what was coming, amen. Her dad said she was so young, I got her before she knew any better. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now we're stuck in loving it, praise God. 15 years ago today, that, that she said I do, and, and we got a, a wonderful family. I love my wife, but I cannot put my joy in my wife. Because then if she's doing what she's supposed to, then my joy is here. But if she's not doing what she's supposed to, or misbehaving, or she goes off the reservation, or so forth and so on, then my joy is attached to her. Thus you see the Christian yo-yo. How many of you work with somebody? We'll take pressure off you, take pressure off your family. I know Chad probably works with some people. They come in, and man, when things are good, they are good. But when things are bad, it's like you got to pull them up out of the pit. They have no consistency. That's why the Bible says rejoice in the Lord. The Lord never changes. How many know God doesn't have mood swings and emotional swings? Can I have an amen? He's steady. So rejoice in the Lord. Jesus said, I'm leaving you a gift. I'm leaving you peace of mind. Not only peace of mind, but peace of heart. That's what James and LaDonna were sharing. That's what Vince was sharing. When you look at this PowerPoint for life, when you rub up against Jesus, man, I love this, you will not come away. You, and you, here we go. I was reading it wrong. You cannot rub up against Jesus and not come away with his peace on you. Now, don't dissect that. That may not be correct, but you get the point. Can I have an amen? The other day, I had nice clothes on, had nice pants on, nice white shirt, and I had to get something out of my vehicle, and I had to kind of reach in, and, and, and I was kind of reaching under, and when I came out, I noticed I had a black spot on my arm, and I was less than thrilled about it. I had to get a baby wipe, and how many know baby wipes are good for much more than just cleaning a, a baby's bottom, amen? Multi-purpose, praise God. But I took a baby wipe, and I was trying to clean it off, and, and hand sanitizer. I'm just going to give a little PSA. Hand sanitizer will take out a lot of stains. I'm just telling you, that it really does work. Baby wipe, hand sanitizer, I was trying to get that off and clean it off. And how many know I took a little bit of the residue with me? I didn't leave my cleanliness on the vehicle. I took the dirt off the vehicle. You can't rub up against Jesus. You can't have an encounter with God. You can't rub up against Susan, who's a godly woman. You can't rub up against other men and women of God in this house and not come away with a little bit of his peace on you. He said, peace, I leave with you. Look at John six sixty three. Now, you should be a little bit more energetic. You've all had your fill of sugar this morning, right? That's the problem. Now you're in a sugar coma. John 6, 63. I think we have that one. It says, It's the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I've spoken are spirit and life. Say this with me. Say, the words of Jesus are spirit and life. So the way that we walk in hope is by placing Christ first. You can't rub up against the God of peace and not leave with the peace of God on your life. You can't hear the words of Jesus and not, not receive spirit and life. Look at Colossians 1.26. I think this one should be on the screen. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, This is the mystery that's been hidden from the past generations, but now has been manifested to the saints. 
It says, God willed to make known the riches of his glory, the mystery among the Gentiles. And this is what I want you to see. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Colossians 1. Say this when we say, Christ in me, the hope of glory. So in Christ, we have hope of glory. We'll, we, we can read and, and see Galatians 4.19. Paul said, I'm praying that Christ would be formed wholly in you, that Christ would be developed in you. So I want you to see this. The words of Jesus are spirit and life. Say spirit and life. Jesus is the hope of glory. Say hope of glory. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Say Prince of Peace. And then Paul says, I'm praying that Christ be formed in you. I'm praying that Christ be born again in you. So you take those words that are spirit, you take those words that are life, you take the hope of glory, you take the Prince of Peace, and when you place Christ first, those become a part of your life. And that is honestly the way we can have hope. Self-help books will not help. Can I have an amen? Thank God for all those folks and what they do and, and the psychology behind it. But you need Jesus. It's the answer. I love it. This Facebook people put this on and you say, Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for every day. I mean, I love Christmas and it's fine. and We celebrate it, do the thing with the kids and... And all that. But honestly, I was thinking this morning. Now, don't throw stones at me out there. But Christmas is not that special to me because I celebrate the birth of my Savior in my life every single day. It's like Valentine's Day to us is not that special because I'm a great husband 365 days out of a year. Amen? I don't just wait till Valentine's Day to buy flowers or candies. You do that on random occasions, and, and she's my Valentine 365, so that day, eh, we, we might use it as an excuse for a date, but it's not that special, because I celebrate her every day. If you do the same to me, I'd appreciate it, praise God. I'm just teasing. <laughs> she makes a big deal out of Valentine's Day. That's my one day that I get, I'm just teasing. She's a sweet wife. But Christmas is great, and I love it, and I'm not demeaning all the, because I was telling Tara, so you know, we've not made a big deal this year about decorations and, and here we didn't decorate any and at home we didn't decorate any and and I'm not Scrooge I'm not not in the mood I'm not not in the Christmas spirit but honestly I love my Savior so much every single day I don't I don't need another day on the calendar just to make me honor and and, and respect how much God has done in my life amen but I love Christmas it's a great time especially when great people buy me great gifts I mean you know I'm just saying I'm just throwing that out there but we, we can have the peace of God when we, when we encounter Jesus. We can have the peace of God. Look at Galatians 5.22. When Christ is formed in you, hope is formed in you. When Christ is formed in you, peace is formed in you. When Christ is formed in you, love is formed in you. So Galatians 5.22 says this. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. I can look at you in about five minutes tell if you're bearing fruit the Holy Spirit is producing or if you're bearing some kind of other fruit that is not produced by the Holy Spirit. I can watch my kids and they can watch me. Can I have an amen? amen? And Chad, in five minutes, my kids can tell you if the fruit that's being produced in my life is fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces is love. Somebody say love. love. Joy. Joy. Peace. Peace. Patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
That means only three pieces of fudge instead of four. Can I have an amen? We can practice that today. So when I encounter God, when I have a, 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 a hope where I'm placing Christ first, all that Christ is, love, joy, peace. So when you're operating in hate, you're not operating in the fruit the Holy Spirit produces. When you're operating in depression, you're not operating in the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces because He produces joy. It's not a condemnation. I'm not just saying have more faith and pray about it. Remember, we're here to help each other and share. But our goal is not to hear your troubles to leave you there. Our goal is to get you to a place of joy. Our goal is to get you to a place. So it says peace. So if you're in inner turmoil, that is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You have the promise of peace. It's a fruit that the Holy Spirit produces. Kindness. So if you're not being kind, if you're being unkind, that's not a fruit the Holy Spirit produces. Goodness. So if you're full of badness, I don't know how to say that. If you're operating in badness, it's not a fruit that the Holy Spirit produces. Faithfulness, gentleness, on and on. There is no law against these things. Now, here's a great way to start. How do we place Christ first? We're going to help you do that as a church family. Starting January 7th, our first Sunday in January, or is it January 6th? It's either January 6th or January 7th. That first Sunday in January, we're going to be launching a 21-day period of consecration where we're going to launch into prayer and fasting. We're going to be teaching on what it means to consecrate your life. And we're going to ask you for 21 days at the beginning of the year to go after God in a way you've never went after Him, to dedicate your life to Him in a way you've never dedicated your life to Him. And we're going to help you do that. We're going to process that with you. We're going to walk through it. My children are already praying about what that looks like for them. I'm asking them to do the same thing for 21 days. Part of that will be making a commitment to come on Wednesday evenings for those 21 days. Part of that will be a church-wide Bible reading plan that we're going to go through. Part of that will be fasting something. Maybe you've never fasted food, but maybe you can fast media. Maybe you could fast Facebook. If you can't put the phone down for more than an hour, you might want to pray about fasting your phone or Facebook. Can I have an amen out there from all the people? My children have already said they're going to be fasting vegetables. I mean, they love vegetables so much. They're going to be fasting vegetables. But we want you to do something for 21 days. This will jumpstart your entire year. This will lay the foundation. How many of you would like to have a better 2019 than you had in 2018? How many of you said, I had a good 2018, but I want to have an even better 2019? What's going to be different? What's going to make 19 better than 18? I can tell you what's going to make it better. 21 days of consecrating your life to Jesus, putting Jesus first 21 days. I'm telling you, we have residual impact now in my family from the 21-day time of prayer and fasting we did last year. I have residual impact in my heart from that 21 days. It really, it really changed some things and set some things. Made me think, why do we just do this once a year? We may do this twice a year this year, maybe at the beginning and then in the middle as a church body because it is so powerful. Look at 1 Peter 5, 7. Six, first Peter five, six, or seven, or six. There we go. Thank you. I want you to see this now. We're talking about placing Christ first. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I'm gonna teach you something you've probably never seen before. This was new revelation to me. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Set aside all self-pride. Somebody say self-pride. So that he may exalt you. You know what I love about God? When you do your job and humble yourself, he'll do his job and exalt you. 
You cannot do his job, exalt yourself, and he will not do your job. But listen, if you don't do your job of humbling yourself, God will then have to do your job and humble you. That's why I would much rather humble myself than God have to humble me. That's why scripture says, humble yourself. So you do your job and walk in humility. You do your job and humble yourself and then let God do his job and bring the promotion, bring the exaltation. It says here, notice this, that he may exalt you to a place of honor in his service at the appropriate time. You know why I love Meshach? Number one, because he sits in the front row. Number two, because he's got a great wife. Number three, because he's got a cool shirt on. Number four, he leaves his notebook here, and I give it to him on Sundays. You left your notebook, but uh, we love you for that anyway. But you know why I love Meshach in all seriousness? Because he's a humble man of God. He's a faithful man of God. And there will be a time when he's given a place of honor. We didn't just say, oh, he looks like a good candidate for missions coordinator. Let's just let him do that. No, he served. He prayed with humility. And God gave him a place of honor in his service at the appropriate time. So many of us want to rush the appropriate time. My hand is the first one up. I can't tell you how many times I'm trying to get ahead of what God wants and my sweet wife is pulling me back in, saying in the appropriate time. So part of our hope is knowing that if we humble ourselves, God will exalt us, give us a place of honor in His service at the appropriate time. Look at verse 7. That was good. Look at verse 7. Casting all your cares. We're talking about the peace of God. All your anxieties, all of your worries, all of your concerns. Say this phrase with me. Ready? Once and for all. Cast all your cares, anxieties, worries, concerns once and for all. For He cares about you with the deepest affection and He watches over you carefully. Let me connect these dots. The the verse before said, humble yourself. You will never walk in what God is doing in your life. You will never walk in peace. You will never walk in care. You will never walk in deep affection. You will never walk in the watchful care of the Lord if you can't receive it because of your pride. What is pride? I can fix this on my own. What is pride? I can do this on my own. What is pride? I can fix this. I can figure this out. I can work this out. I can make a plan. I can do this. I'm smart enough. I know enough people. I've got enough money in the bank account. I've got enough connections. I've got enough skill. I can do this. That is pride. You will never walk in verse 7 as long as you are figuring out that you can do it on your own. But the way I have hope is by placing Christ first in me, the hope of glory. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not in my own will or power. Amen? Amen. Last point, verse 4, and we're going to let you go. We're going to have purpose. We're going to open up to others. We're going to place Christ first. And we're going to remember as we close today, everyone else has troubles as well. I don't know who this is for. Maybe somebody even online listening today. But the thing that Satan wants to tell you in your mind is that you're the only person going through hardship. Nobody else has it as bad as you. Nobody else is in the situation that you're in. Honey, listen, I've been all around the world, like Vince said, and I've seen some people who have a lot worse than you have it. Meshach, can you tell some stories of folks that have it a lot worse than folks? 
I understand your pain. I'm not belittling what you're suffering with. I'm not belittling what you're going through. It is big to you. It is important to you. But I see so many people blow these little problems up like it's the end of the world. And I want to give them a dose of reality and say, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. You know what? I'll say this in a cautious way. I wish I could reach our teenagers before this happened. But I've had stories, even in our church, and and heard stories of teenagers who are to the point of taking their own life because of a girlfriend or boyfriend that broke up with them, which is why teenagers shouldn't date anyway. Can I have an amen? Amen. I don't have any friends in the house that are under 15, but we're not going to do the dating thing in my house. We're going to do the the courtship and the friendship, and we're going to do it godly. Because listen, I I can't even get into that. I don't have time. Somebody say you don't have time. I don't have time. Stay tuned for another session on why teens should not date. Praise God. (laughs) Amen. It's coming. Hallelujah. Because I've almost got a teenager in the house, so it's coming. But, but they get so depressed over this relationship. They put all of their identity in this relationship instead of putting their identity in Jesus. Remember, rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in your job. LaDonna is a, a nurse practitioner as well as Susan. They're both in, in medicine. And, and if, if they put their identity in their job, if the job goes away tomorrow, then do they wake up with value? Do they wake up with purpose? You put your purpose and value in Jesus, it never changes. The job title might change. The job title might change. Who writes my paycheck might change. What what I'm doing in life might change, but my identity in Christ never changes because it's in Christ. It's not in what I'm doing. It's in who I am. You'll never have hope and peace if you don't realize that. So we've got to remember that everyone around you has troubles and problems. How many in this room have troubles and problems? Can I see your hand? See, the preacher's telling the truth today. We all have problems. Now look at 1 Peter 5.8. I apologize. I told you we'd try to go an hour. How many of you didn't believe we were going to go an hour anyway? So Stay alert. Look at your neighbor and give him a big elbow. Stay alert. <laughs> the preacher said so. Let me help you here real quick. This, let's just wrap this up. I want you to see this. Stay alert. Watch out. Somebody say, watch out. watch out. For your little, wimpy, puny, can't really do anything enemy. I'm a man of faith, and I believe the word, and I'm really not afraid of the devil. I honestly am not afraid of the devil, and I, I don't just say that flippantly. I'm really not afraid of the devil. But we have to understand, he is, he is a great enemy. The thief comes to kill, still destroy. If I were the devil, and I'm obviously not, can I have an amen? If I were the devil, I'd do everything I could do to convince you that I'm harmless, that I'm not even real, that I'm the little cartoon with a pitchfork. I'd do everything that I could to convince you that I wasn't harmful or dangerous. But he is. He's a great enemy, which is why suicide is the tenth leading cause of death in the United States. Which is why teenagers taking their own life is up 77% since 2006. This is why churches are closing, pastors are getting out of the ministry at an alarming rate. There are more pastors quitting the ministry than going into the ministry. You do the math. More churches closing than opening. More churches stuck and plateaued than growing. You do the math. Susan, he's a great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion 
seeking someone to devour. Now, the pastor that I grew up under used to say this. The the old King James says, uh, seeking whom? And he would say, praise God, I don't have to be a whom. And he said the reason he's like a roaring lion is because Jesus done knocked his teeth out and all he can do is roar. He can't really bite because I'm under the protection of Jesus. All he can do is roar and try to scare us. Amen? Amen? Because I'm under the protection of Jesus. But still then I must be alert. I must watch out because there is a great enemy, the devil. Notice God's not your problem. God's not your enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Seeking someone to Rob of their hope. Look at verse 9. Love this verse. Stand firm against Him. You know why we exist as a church? For this reason. To help you stand firm against Him. To be strong in your faith. Remember. Catch this now. Connect these dots. Your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Let me, let me connect these for you. Stay Stay alert. Watch out, your great enemy, the devil, is seeking someone to devour. Remember, your family believers is going through the same kind of sufferings. How does Satan devour us by telling you you're the only one going through problems? How many of you see that for the very first time? He says, watch out, the devil's going to devour you. How does he devour you? Remember, you're not the only one going through these problems and sufferings. So Satan comes to isolate you, and he says, you're the only one suffering. You're the only one going through problems. You know, I think about men and women in the Bible who struggled with depression and real depression. Look what King David, look how King David felt. Psalm 13. This was the great King David. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? How many of you prayed that prayer before? Oh Lord, how how long will you look the other way? Look what he said in verse 2. This is desperation from the great King David. How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long must my enemy have the upper hand? What about the great prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19? Remember all the great things Elijah Elijah did? He was discouraged, weary, afraid. Listen, he went alone into the wilderness. There's your problem. He went alone. He was in isolation. Where it was just him and the devil. He was in isolation. Traveling all day. He was tired. He was fatigued. You know you're eight hours of sleep from a new perspective. That's for somebody in this house. You are eight hours of sleep away from a better perspective. Never make a major decision on a tired day. That's wisdom, ladies and gentlemen. Never make a major decision on a tired day. Notice here, he went alone into the wilderness. He was tired. He'd been traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree. Instead of being in the forest, he picked one little isolated tree. Can you see the isolation? And he prayed that he might die. He said, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. He says, Lord, I've had enough. I'm no better than my ancestors. What about Jonah? You all know Jonah and the well and all that cool story and, and that we see in Scripture? Look at Jonah verse chapter 4, verse 3. Just kill me now, Lord. Well, this is a great prophet Jonah. I'd rather be dead than alive if what you predicted is not going to happen. What about Job? Job questioned his very existence. Look at Job chapter 3 and verse 10. He said, I cursed the day. For, for failing to shut my mother's womb. 
I curse today for letting me be born to see all this trouble. Why wasn't I born dead? This is heavy stuff. This is a, 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 a supposedly here a man of God. He says, why didn't I die when I came from the womb? Why was I laid on my mother's breast? Why, why did she even nurse me? Why wasn't I born dead? Moses felt be, betrayed and grieved. Jeremiah struggled with loneliness and depression. And then the Lord showed me something. You ready for this? Yes, these men felt this way. And they were open enough to communicate about it. How do we know Jeremiah was depressed? Because he wrote about it. How do we know Elijah was wanting to die? Because he put it in the book. But I want to help you here. Let me help you. Please, please don't check out. Please don't leave me mentally. This will help you. The whole day comes to this point. Yes, yes, Moses. Yes, David. Yes, Jeremiah. But, somebody say but. You've always wanted to say but in church. Come on, say it again. Say but. But Jesus. Jesus. But Jesus. Now in the New Testament, can we be honest? Let me be honest with you. We don't see this constant struggle with this attitude in the New Testament. Here's why. Because Jesus. Look at Isaiah 53. This is why we don't see Peter writing about this. Although Peter had his moments, but he got help. This is why we don't see the great apostle Paul writing this. Because he realized the hope he had in Christ. This is why, because Jesus took all that mess that Moses dealt with, all that mess Jeremiah dealt with, all that sludge and mess that Job and Jonah and King David, all that stuff they could not process, they could not deal with, Jesus said, let me take it. Remember, cast all your cares on Him, for He cares for you. This is why, Tito, who has believed our message to whom the Lord has been revealed with His powerful arm. Verse 2, My servant, this is Jesus. He grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There is nothing beautiful or majestic about His appearance. Nothing attracted us to Him. Jesus was a normal man. He wasn't like Fabio. I've seen Jesus movies where Jesus steps out. And he's like Fabio. He looked. He was actually unbecoming. He was probably less handsome than I am. Dear God, pray for Jesus. Amen. He, he was an unbecoming, nothing beautiful, nothing majestic about his appearance. He wasn't like the great King Saul who stood heads and shoulders above everybody else. Verse 3, this is why we don't see that depression and guilt prolonged in the New Testament because of the hope we have in Christ. It's B.C. That was before Christ. That was B.C. Now look at this. Look at the hope we have in Jesus. Look what we can latch on to as we realize everybody else has problems. I'm going to put my hope and place Christ first. I'm going to rub up against Him and let His peace be infused in my life. Look at this verse in verse 3. He said, Jesus was despised and rejected. So you don't have to be despised and rejected. That's why the Bible says we are now accepted in the Beloved. How can I be accepted? Because He was rejected. A man of sorrows. Jesus was acquainted with grief. The deepest kind of grief. He knows your grief and can take your pain. He identifies. We turned our backs on him. How many of you have ever been rejected? Betrayed? Jesus said here in Isaiah, it's prophesied of Jesus that we turned our backs on him. We looked the other way. He was despised. We didn't care. Verse 4. 
Yet it was our weakness. Somebody say my weakness. It was my weakness that he carried. Say that with me. It was my weakness that he carried. Say that again. It was my weakness that he carried. Say it was my sorrow that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, but yet, or or a punishment for his own sins. But verse 5. Verse 5 says this. He was pierced for my rebellion. Say that with me. He was pierced for my rebellion. He was crushed for my sin. He was beaten so I could be whole. He was whipped so I could be healed. So I could be healed of depression. So I can be healed of mental anguish. So I can be healed of despair. So I can be healed of hopelessness. He was pierced for my rebellion. He was crushed for my sin. He was beaten so that I could be healed. He was whipped so that I could be healed. And he was crushed and whipped and beaten so you can be healed, whole, and delivered. So you can have hope. And then you can give it away. You can have hope. Then you can give it away. Amen. Let's close our eyes for just a minute. Father, we just thank you for this message of hope. Thank you for the great exchange. Thank you that you took my guilt, shame, anguish, mental torment. You took it on the cross. Lord, I exchange for your peace. In your own heart, ladies and gentlemen, where you are, just pray this. Just pray, Heavenly Father, just in your heart. Help me exchange guilt and worry for your peace. Help me exchange fear of the future for your security. Help me exchange everything that I'm struggling with and dealing with. Let me receive hope in Jesus' name.